You're listening to a presentation of Arising, a community of faith designed to see people far from God raise a true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Hey, I wonder, uh, if I were to ask you to make a list of all the things that you cared about, what, what would be on your list? Like, like, if we were to make a list of all the things that we cared about, we'd probably have all sorts of different things on our list, right? Like, like maybe, well, I, actually, I think, I think we'd have a lot of the similar things. So probably the first couple things on our list would be uh, family and friends. How many of you would put family and friends on there? Good, yeah, hopefully everybody, because cause if not, then you got some explaining to do to the person next to you. But um, yeah, so we probably all put like family and friends on there, but then from there, our list would branch out into other things, right? Like we'd probably, maybe on your list, you, you would have, you, you care about a car, or maybe it's a motorcycle, you care about your dog, you care about your house, you care about clothes, food, you care about fitness, you care about um, managing money, you care about all sorts of, like we care about all sorts of different things, and we'd all have various things on our list that we, that we cared about. And, and, and the same is true. If I were to ask you to make a list of everything that you worry about, right? If I say, hey, what's everything you worry about? We'd have all sorts of different things. Like, so maybe on your list, it would be um, that you'd say, well, I worry about the future. For others, maybe you worry about failure. Perhaps you worry about getting a good job. For, for, for most, I think it's that we worry about money. And, and, and that last one, actually, money, I think would end up on a lot of people's lists because I think a lot of us worry about money. And even if you don't worry about money, like all of us think about money. Like we all think about money and we all care about money. And this is just something that's true for all of us. It's so true that Bank of America actually saw this in our society that you and I, we care about money. We worry about money. We have questions about money. We think about money. And so because they noticed this in our society, uh, they actually made a commercial to, to resonate with people when it comes to money. Here, I want you to see this commercial. Check, check this out. I don't care whether you have a PhD or an MBA, everyone has questions about money. You know, I think about money kind of a lot. Money's freedom. Money's always on my mind. Credit cards. Mortgage. Debt. It's complicated. <laughs> it's not easy. I'm not a good budgeter. Unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a spender. I would love to learn more about finances. So there's questions about the world that all of us have, especially about money and finance. The goal of Khan Academy and Better Money Habits and the partnership we're doing with Bank of America is to give people the tools they need to empower themselves. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not endorsing Bank of America or their products or anything, but I think it's interesting to note that they saw uh, that you and I, we care about money, we worry about money, we have questions about money. And so, like, like every single one of us, when it comes to money, we have a view on money, right? Like, like some of you, you love to think about and talk about money, right? So for, for some of you, though, you hate to think about and talk about money. For, for, for others, when the subject of money comes up, the euphoria like wells up inside of you and you can smell the fat stacks of cheddar, right? And then for, for others though, like w- when money comes up, you, you feel a bit uneasy, uh, this tension rises up in you. you. You might even get a little defensive at times around the subject of, of money. And so the truth is, we all think about money, we all have questions about money, we all worry about money, and we all have views on money. And, and, and not only do, do you and I have views on money, but it's interesting to note that God actually has views on money. God, God actually has a lot of views on money. Jesus, I, I, 
I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he talked more about money than he talked about anything else. Jesus talked more about money during his ministry than he talked about anything else. The only other thing Jesus talked about a lot was the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about some place that we just fly off to one day when we die, but he was talking about how we live here and now and how we bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth and how do we live out the heaven life now. But Jesus talks more about money than anything else. He talks more about money than he talks about faith. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about prayer. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell combined. Like, Jesus was constantly talking about money. And, and if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to talk about money, you wouldn't like Jesus very much because he talks about money all the time, like, like sometimes uh, if you go to a church or whatever and they're talking about money, uh, sometimes the response is, here we go again, the church is talking about money, but you would respond the same way with Jesus, right? It would be like, here we go again, Jesus is talking about money, because he talked about money so much, and the reason Jesus talked about money is not because he was fundraising, it wasn't because he needed it, it wasn't like, send in $10 and support my ministry and you'll get a blessing, or anything. It, it wasn't like that. Jesus talked so much about money because of what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here, here's what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to I take a moment to, to memorize this verse together, because this is going to be our theme verse that we go through throughout this series. And so if you don't get anything else today, you could be like, ah, I learned a verse of scripture in church. Uh, so we're going to memorize this together. So I'll say it, you repeat it after me, ready? For wherever your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Cool, let's do it one more time, a little more enthusiastically. Uh, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let's do it together and, and we'll all say it together. Here we go, one, two, three. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Congratulations, you just learned a verse of scripture. Yeah, that's a good thing, yeah. And so this is what Jesus is saying, that wherever our treasure is, our heart will be also. He's pointing out this truth that our, our heart is leashed to our treasure. Wherever our treasure goes, our hearts follows. The, the reason why Jesus talks so much about money is not because he cared about money, but because he cared about us. See, Jesus knew that you and I, we care about money. And because we care about money, he talked about it because he cares about us. Wherever our treasure goes, our heart follows. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was talking with my friend um, about this, and he, he said that he knew a guy who his parents had just bought him a brand new BMW. And uh, they were out playing flag football one day in a field, and this hailstorm came up out of nowhere. And everybody rushed to the pavilion to seek shelter, except for this guy. This guy with the brand new BMW rushed to his car, and he sprawled his body out over top of his car to protect it from the hail. Like, this guy was risking his body to protect his car. Why? Because he had money there. Like, his money was invested in this car. His parents' money was in this, and so he cared about it. Wherever our treasure goes, our heart follows Conversely, uh, my friend Dave, he's our VIP coordinator, uh, he has a 2002 Nissan Sentra, 
and the clear coat on it is gone. Uh, the struts are bad. The AC doesn't work. It's dented. There's rust on it. And I've heard Dave say several times, I wish somebody would hit me. Uh, because, like Dave, Dave prays that his car will get totaled. Why? Because there's no value in it. He has no money invested in it. He doesn't care about it. But if Dave had a brand new car, you better believe that he would think differently about it. Why? Because wherever our treasure goes, our heart follows. And see, you and I, we, we like to think about it the opposite way, right? Like, like sometimes we think that wherever our heart is, that's where our treasure will go. Where, whatever we care about, that's where our money will go. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. It's wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows. It's not heart first, then treasure. It's treasure first, then heart. And so the, the list that, that you and I would have come up with earlier when I asked you, what are the things that you cared about? I could actually fact check that by looking at your checking account. If I took a look at your checking account, I could see if the things that you say you cared about, you actually cared about because you would spend money in those areas. But if you said, well, I really care about these things, but you spend money in other things, then I would say, no, 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 you say you care about these things. You don't really. The things you care about are the things that you spend money on. Jesus said, wherever our treasure goes, our hearts follows because you and I, we care about our money. Wherever we put our money in, that's what we care about. As we go through this series, 90%, this is what we're talking about is, is money. And, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of us have um, some misguided views on money. And so my sole goal for today is to help us view money in a different way. It, it, it's to help us see it the way God intended for us to see it. And, um, the, the, the way that God intended for us to see it is in one word, and I'm going to give you that word at the end. Uh, I don't want to give it to you now because I want you to sit in some tension and be in suspense. Like, I want you to have this sixth sense sort of moment where it's like, oh, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. And so, so, I'll, so I'll give you the word at the end, and then everything that I'm going to say, you'll look back and say, oh, so that's why we shouldn't, or that's why we should. And so, like I said, I think we have a lot of misguided views and um, like, like, like for some of us, when it comes to money, we don't really like to think about it. We don't really like to talk about it. it, it for us, it's like this mysterious thing that, that enters into our bank account and it leaves our bank account. And we say, well, I don't really know where it's going or how it got there or what happened. It's just this thing that is just out there. And we prefer not to think about it. Like, like some, some of you, may, maybe you'd say, look, I don't, I don't deal with the finances. I let him handle it or I let her handle all the bills or whatever. Some of you would say, oh, I just kind of put it in a pot. I pay all the bills and then I live on the rest. And, and that's, that's our approach to money. Like we prefer not to even think about it. As long as I got it, that's cool. If I don't have it, ah, well, I'll make do. And, and that's how we view money sometimes. Uh, but I want to let you know today that there's, there's actually a better way to handle money. And, and if you're married, um, like you don't get a pass on how you handle your money. It, it can't be all him or it can't be all her. And, and also, if you're married, um, it's not my money and his money or my money and her money, but it's now our money. It's, it's not, well, you have yours. and I, No, we're one. We're, we're together. We used to be two, but when we got married, we became one. And, and, and sometimes what couples do is, is they become one in their life, but they let their checking accounts be separate. And, um, and so we kind of handle money this way where it's this hands-off approach. Uh, some, sometimes though we have this, um, this view about money that it's evil, right? Like, 
Like I've talked with people at times and they say, I don't really like to talk about money because money is the root of all evil. It says so in the Bible. And, uh, and, and if somebody says that, what they're doing is they're actually misquoting a verse in scripture. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And here's what it says. It says, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money is evil. Money is not good or bad, but it's the love of money. What it's saying is that our greed is what can lead to evil. You should tweet that. Our greed is what can lead to evil, right? And, and, and so that's what that's about. But sometimes we have this view that money is, is bad, that, that, that it's, it, but the thing is though, it's not good and money's not bad either. Money is amoral. Money doesn't have any feelings at all. Uh, maybe, maybe you remember back in 2011, there were these protests that took place uh, called Occupy, right? Uh, more, more dragged out, it was Occupy Wall Street. And um, there were these protests that took place in the streets of New York, and it actually happened here in Norfolk where some people camped out on the streets and they were like, we're not going anywhere until a certain group of people changes what they do with money and all this stuff. And a phrase that became popular during Occupy Wall Street was, we are the 99%. We are the 99%. And uh, what they were talking about is that in our country, uh, there's the top 1% of wage earners. If you make $350,000 or more a year, then you're in the top 1% of wage earners in our country. And what they were saying is, see, see the, the protesters were upset about how some people with money handled their money and about some things that happened with the banks and things like that. And so what they did in this phrase, we're the 99%, is they kind of lumped everybody who had money into this 1% category. And uh, whatever their reasons for protesting, it, it began to shift where it was almost like this mentality that if you had money, then you were bad. And, and so we are the 99%, and you're the 1%, and the thing that divides us is you have more money than us, and phrases like, like because you have so much, like you should give more to other people, or you should do this, or you should whatever, and they started wanting, they, they wanted people who had money to do something differently with how they handled their money, and um, it, it, it was like this divide, like you're bad because you have money, and this sense of entitlement started to come up in this, in this movement, I felt. And, and, and again, it was like, if you had money, then you're evil. It wasn't, if you have money, then you're wise with your money. If you have money, then you're smart with it. If you have money, then you managed it well. If you had money, then you're philanthropic. It was none of those things, but it was, you're evil. And, and this idea about money becoming evil, I felt was really um, magnified during this protest. But, but the thing with money is, it's not evil. It, it's not good or bad. It's, it's amoral. It's it's like with this brick, right? Like, like a brick is not good or bad, right? It's amoral. It, it's what I do with a brick that can be good or bad, right? Like, like I can take a brick and I can throw it through someone's window and that's a bad thing. Or I can take a brick and use it to build hospitals which saves lives and that's a good thing. It's not about the brick because the brick is not good or bad. It's what I do with the brick. It's also not about how many bricks I have. Like, wouldn't it be silly if we were sitting around and you were like, you got more bricks than I do? It's like, well, who cares about the brick? It's what I do with the brick in the same way. Money is not good or bad. It's amoral. And so it doesn't matter how much somebody has or how much somebody doesn't have. It's what we do with it that matters. And so sometimes we have this view where 
We just want to have a hands-off approach with money. At times we think, oh, well, money is, is evil, and uh, so I don't want to have anything to do with it. But those are, again, misguided views. So, sometimes, though, we, we look at money, and uh, we don't like to talk about it because the truth is we don't have it. Like, we've, we just feel like, well, I don't really have it, and so I feel bad talking about it. And, 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 and there's times where we can compare ourselves with other people. Like, we say, well, well, I mean, if I had that much money, I would never do that, right? Like, we look at how other people spend money. It's like, well, if I had that much money, I would never do that. Or if I had that much money, this is what I would do with it. Or, 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 or you have so much money, you should just give it away. No, you should give your money away, right? Like, like we look at what other people have at times, and we feel bad because we compare with them, and, and they, we see that they have and we don't, so we feel bad about what we don't have. And so we don't really like to talk about it at times. But, but the opposite is true as well. Sometimes we look at what other people have, and we feel bad because of what we don't have, but, but then at times we feel guilty and we feel bad about what we do have, right? Like, like years ago, uh, I was working with this pastor, and uh, he, had, he had just bought a, a Chrysler Sebring convertible. And uh, he was really excited about it. He drove it to work, and I uh, saw it, and I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. You got a new car. And, like, immediately, he launched into this explanation about why he bought it, right? Like, he's trying to justify it and rationalize it. He's like, he's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I like it. But, you know, I've always wanted a convertible my whole life, and I never really had one. And this isn't even, like, the best convertible. It's like a mid-grade convertible, and I bought it used, and I got a really good deal for it. And the last car I was driving, somebody gave it to me, and I've been driving it for seven years, so I haven't had a car payment, and blah, blah. And he went on and on about, about like, justifying his purchase. And I stopped him. I said, hold on, hold on. You don't have to justify it. You got a car. Drive it like you stole it, man. That's awesome. Like, that is a good thing. Look, I told him, I said, look, I'm not hating on you now that you got a new car. I didn't hate on you when you were driving your old car. I'm not going to hate on you now. You got something that's great. But why, like, why, why do we care about what other people have? Like, when we begin to compare with other people and we, and we throw shade at them, y'all know what that means? That means when you hate on somebody, come on, I'm bringing you to the new generation. Um, but when we, when we throw shade at somebody based on what they have, really, that, that comes from an insecurity in us. That comes from jealousy within us. It comes from envy within us. Why do I care what you have? It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. That's yours. I need to focus on what I have and what I do with it. And so sometimes we feel bad because of what we don't have. But sometimes we feel really guilty because of what we do have, and, and we shouldn't feel guilty. I wonder, how many of you, let's take a quick poll, how many of you would say that you're rich? Would you just raise your hand if you would say that you're rich? Wow, <laughs> okay, I got one, awesome, oh man. And you know, I get it, I understand. Uh, when I ask that question, um, probably a thing that goes to your mind is, no, I am not rich because I know some rich people and I am not them, okay? Uh, I know where my boss lives and I don't live there, okay? Uh, and, and when we think about rich people, we often, often think about people like Bill Gates or Donald Trump or whatever. We're like, that's rich. I'm not rich. Or maybe you're just thinking, you're like, listen here, pastor, it's none of your business. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but and maybe you thought we were gonna like stick you up or ask you for more money or something. And that's like, but, but I want to explain to you why every single person, when I ask that question, if you're rich, every single person should have raised their hand. Because the truth is, you're rich. All of us are rich. Now, you may not feel rich, but the truth is, you're rich. 
Let's do another poll. How many of you have a car? Yeah, most of the room. If you have a car, you are in 8% of the population in this world who owns a car. Only 8% of this world has a car. There's over 7 billion people in the world, and you are one of 8% who has a car. Some of us have multiple cars, right? In the world, there's 100 million people who are homeless. Um, that's not the case for many of us. That's like uh, Virginia times 12, okay? 100 million people is a population of Virginia times 12. These people are homeless. But here's the thing. Many of us have homes. Here's, here's what's even crazier. Many of us have homes for our cars, right? It's a garage. We have a house for our car. We have a house for multiple cars. Look, look, look. Here, here's how rich we are. You and I, we store money in trash cans. How many of you have change in your ashtray? Yeah, we store money in trash cans. That's how rich we are. And it's not a thing to make you feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad at all. It's just, it just is what it is. We are rich. When um, Occupy Wall Street was saying, uh, we are the 99%, the truth is, we aren't. Like, they were liars. We're not the 90%. We are the 1%. Here's what I mean. If you make $47,500 a year, then you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you make $47,500 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. That means that you and Bill Gates are in the same category, right? I mean, really, you are. Be because look, three billion people, less than half the world's population, lives on less than $2 a day, and that's all things equal, okay? The average American lives on about $108 a day. Like, it's staggering. And, and, and maybe you say, well, I don't really make that much money, I don't make $47,500 a year, but if you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of wage earners in the world. The, the truth is, you and I are rich. And we shouldn't feel bad about it. We shouldn't feel guilty about it. That's not a guilt trip or anything like that. It just is what it is. You and I, we are rich. And it's important for us to understand that. It's important for us to embrace that truth, that we're rich, not to feel bad about it, not to feel guilty about it, but just to know that we are rich. It's important for us to know that so that we don't feel bad about what we don't have. Because often when we compare, we like to compare up, don't we? Like we compare with people who have more and we're like, well, I don't have that much. But we never really compare it down. When we compare it down, you and I, we're rich. So we need to know that and understand that, that we're rich so that we don't feel bad about what we don't have and then so we can be grateful about what we do have. And so you're rich. Now, you may not feel rich, but as we go through this series, my hope is that you'll discover how to feel rich and how to act rich and what that means. But the truth is, you and I, we're rich. And so we have some of these misconceptions about money. Sometimes we don't like to talk about it or think about it. We uh, think that it's evil at times, and then we just don't like to talk about it because we, we feel like we don't really have any. But the truth is that you and I, we're rich. Now, I want to show you how we should view money. I want to show you the one word that when we begin to view money through this lens, it changes everything for us. And so if you have a Bible, would you open up to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, and we're gonna start in verse 14. Uh, Jesus is telling a story here, and 
guess what? It's about money. Uh, but Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, he's telling this story, and uh, there's a theme throughout this. I want to see if you catch it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, we'll have the words on the screen. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one who gained two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He's really saying, like, you invest and you make money on your investments and things like that. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, for those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see the idea here? Who does the money belong to? The master. The, the money belongs to the master, not the servants. See, the master entrusts the servants with his money, and so the servants are simply managers, and that's the word, manage, managers. See, the master entrusts the servants with the money to manage his money, wouldn't it be silly if the master came back and he said, uh, hey, so I'm back, and then the servants came to him and they said, master, welcome back. Thank you so much for coming back. Hey, you know, we've been thinking about it, and uh, we're going to keep the money you gave us. We're just going to hold on to that and hang out with that. Like, the master would say, are you freaking kidding me right now? No. That's not your money to keep. It's, it's my money. It's always been my money. It was my money before I gave it to you. It was my money when I gave it to you. And it's my money even now that I'm back. And so you don't get the option to keep it because it was never yours in the first place. Or, or if they say, hey, you know, we've been, we've been thinking about it and, uh, hey, we're going to give you this money back. The master would say, what are you talking about? You're going to give it back to me. No, no, you're going to bring it back to me. Because it was never yours in the first place. It's not yours to give, but it's yours to bring back to me because it's always been mine. See, the key is managers to manage. You and I are managers in the same way. God has entrusted us 
with the resources we have, with the money in our checking account. He's entrusted us to simply manage what's his. The money that you and I have in our possession is not ours, and it never was ours, but it's always been God's. He simply entrusted us to manage it. And maybe you push back and you say, hold on, no, 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 look, okay, maybe your money is God's money, but not my money, because I worked hard for my money. I went to college for 16 years to get the job that I got so I can earn what I earn, okay? I work hard for my money, and I don't, I don't mean to downplay your effort at all, because you should work hard for what you have. You should give your all when you go to work. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, steal from your job by showing up late and leaving early and giving only half your best, but you should give your all, but... The money that you have in your possession is not yours because God is the one who gave you the health that you have so that you can go to work to earn money. God is the one who gave you the IQ capacity that you have so that you could earn what you earn. God is the one who gives you his grace to give you the next breath that you're going to breathe to sustain you and keep you alive so that you can even go and make money. If it wasn't for the grace of God that he allows you to continue to live, then you wouldn't be able to make money in the first place. And so everything we have comes from God. Everything is a gift from him. And we've been entrusted to simply manage it. And it's it's not just true with money, but it's true with other things too. The relationships in your life have been entrusted to you by God for you to manage Right? God has, in, has given us this earth to manage it and to take care of it. God has given you your body so that you can manage it and take care of it. In the same way, God has given you every minute of every day that you have so that you can manage it. None of it is ours. All of it is God's. And I believe that when we start to look at our money this way, that it's not mine, I'm just a manager, then it changes everything. Like, like, it changes everything when I'm just a manager. Because when I'm a manager, I don't stress. I don't worry. Some of you stress and you worry about money. Why? Because you think it's yours. That's not yours. Your job is just to manage it. Like, I don't have to stress and worry about your money, right? And so it's all God's money. I just manage it. He's entrusted me to manage it. Now, if you were to hire me to manage your money, what would you want me to do with your money? You'd probably want me to do with your money what you want me to do with your money, right? (laughs) Like you would direct me on what you want me to do with your money and you would expect that I would do it. If I was managing your money, you would want me to give an account for what I've done with your money and where it's been. If you came to me and you said, hey, tell me about my money, and I was like, I don't really know about it, (laughs) I'd get fired, right? Like, like, Like if you just hired me to manage your money, I wouldn't worry about how much I have or don't have because it's not mine, it's yours. You've just entrusted me to manage it. In the same way, God has entrusted you to manage his resources. And so I wonder for you, let's say you didn't hire me, let's say you didn't hire a money manager, but instead you hired you to manage money for you. How long would you have that job? If you hired you to manage money for you, would you fire you? Probably. For some of us in this room, yes. In the same way, God has entrusted you to manage his money. And one day we're going to give an account for what we've done with the resources God has entrusted us. You know, 
when you hear a scandal on the news about like how some church mismanages money or something like that, like there's this like sense of disgust that wells up in us, right? It's like different than if we hear about some individual who mismanages money or whatever, but when it's a church that mismanages money, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, like people have given to this church and, and, and they've entrusted the, the leadership of that church to manage that money. And it's like, it's like God's money, right? And they've, they've mismanaged it. And there's like this sense of disgust. Like how could you do that with God's money? And we just feel different about it when a church mismanages money. I just wanna let you know too um, that we hire an accountant to keep all of our books. Um, she's the one who handles all the money. I don't deal with a bank account or anything like that. And we have safeguards in place to avoid any hints of appearance like that I would be doing anything with money. And so I don't have control over those things because we want to make sure that there is no mismanagement and that no accusation could be said. And so we take very seriously the money that, it, that you guys give to God through the church. Uh, so we have those things in place. But when we hear about a church mismanaging money, it's just like, wow, what, what in the world? But, but the truth is, you and I have been entrusted with God's resources. We've been entrusted to manage God's money. And so how are you doing at managing it? How are you doing at managing it? I wanna take a moment to, to teach you how to manage it. Because I think if I just get up here and I say, hey, we're just managers. That's all we gotta do is we gotta manage God's money and so now go do it, but I don't teach you how to do it. Well, then that's pointless. And the truth is our spirituality is very practical. And so I wanna teach you how to have a vision for the money God has entrusted you. The vision that we have for the money God has entrusted us is called a budget, right? And so I wanna teach you briefly, we'll have a crash course on how to create a budget. It's a simple budget, and it's something I think that each and every one of us need to do on a monthly basis, um, because we need to have a vision for the money God has entrusted with us. If we don't have a vision for it, then we don't know what's happening with it, we don't know where it's going or what's happening. And so I wanna show you real quick how to create a budget. And just so you know, 32% of Americans have a vision for their money. Only 32% of Americans actually budget. Uh, and because of that, um, it's no wonder that we have financial problems and, and are worried and stressed about money. And so um, the average American, uh, or actually the average person who lives in Hampton Roads uh, makes about $62,000. Uh, not, not the average person, but the average household income is $62,000 uh, here in Hampton Roads. Let's just cut that in half. Let's say that you're single, you make half that, uh, and your average income is $31,000. And so, uh, do we have that up here? <clears throat> and so you make $31,000. Uh, that's your gross during the year, but after taxes, after Medicare, after Social Security and all that stuff, after the government gets its cut, um, your take-home pay, your net, would be about $24,000 a year. And so that's about $2,000 a month. So when you create a budget, what you do is you find out what your net is and what your gross is, and you put that at the top of the page. That's your income. And you do this at the beginning of the month before the month begins. Here's why, because we're gonna have a vision for our money. God has entrusted us with his resources and we need to manage it well, so we need to see. Here's what we're gonna have come in this month, and we're gonna put it on paper, on purpose, and then we're gonna tell our money where to go. So that at the end of the month, we don't say, where did it all go? But we're gonna tell it. It, where to go. And so we're going to put our income at the very top. And so if you make $31,000, your net is about $2,000 a month. 
And then we're gonna write our expenses. Again, this is a very simple budget. It can get me more detailed than that, but um, we're gonna write our expenses. The very first thing that we put at the top of that budget is money that we're gonna give to God and money that we're gonna give to ourselves because you shouldn't cheat God and you shouldn't cheat yourself. Often we do this. Um, we pay Visa, we pay MasterCard, we pay American Excess, uh, Express, we pay um, all sorts of other people first before we bring back to God what's his and before we give back to ourselves. And so you have a tithe and saving. A tithe is uh, 10% of our gross income. Uh, and people say, well, do you tithe on the net or on the gross? I tithe on the gross because I wanna be blessed on the gross. I wanna be blessed by more, not less. And so we tithe on the gross. Uh, and in saving, this is at 5%. Um, typically, it's at 10%. You'll see why it's not at 10% in a moment uh, because we're dealing with an average budget. And so, um, so we'll put those things. We're gonna pay God. We're gonna give back to God first and then we're gonna pay ourselves next. And then after that is all of our other expenses. Um, again, this is a very basic one. You can get more detailed. But household, this is rent, utilities, internet, phone. Comes to six hundred dollars for rent, uh, utilities, phone, internet, two hundred dollars. So about eight hundred dollars um, for where we live, and you can see the percentages off to the side. Insurance. This is health insurance. This is um, life insurance, disability insurance, things like that. Uh, food is one hundred and fifty. Uh, it's between five and ten percent of your net. Transportation that in, that includes gas. Uh, uh, insurance, all that stuff, and then clothing is 2% of the net, and then personal is about 5% of the net. Once we get all these expenses, then we have the total of what they equal, and so that comes, and we write that down at the bottom, uh, which is, oh, sorry, and then if you have debt, you put that down there. The percentage for debt should be zero. My goal for each and every person in this church, and I think we can see it, is that all of us would be debt-free. We're gonna talk about debt next week, and I'm gonna show you how to become debt-free. But the goal is that we'd be debt-free, uh, and then we added all up, our total expenses uh, equal $2,000, and then what's left over should be zero. So our income minus our outgo should equal zero. If you have a negative number there, that means that you're living above your means and you need to cut back on some things. If you have a surplus there, that means that you're living way below your means or you're, um, you have more money not to go party with but to put towards debt or you have more money to put towards saving and investment and things like that. Now, we do this before the month begins so we know where our money is going. And you may look at this and say, this is unrealistic. No, it is. Maybe you look and you say, rent 600 bucks? Are you kidding me? Like, my rent is $1,200 a month. Well, then you need to move. <laughs> my, my, my food is, uh, is more than 150. Stop shopping at Whole Foods. Maybe you need to live on rice and beans for a while, right? Uh, Puerto Ricans right there. Eros con pollo. Hablo espanol muy poco. No, but, and, and so clothing, and, and per, like, like, like you look, the, the, the truth is, maybe you need to cut your cable then. 
Maybe, maybe you need to sell the car so you don't have a car payment anymore, and you buy a car for a thousand bucks and you drive that around, right? It means that we live below our means. Whatever our income is, we need to live below that. The problem in our country is that our income is here, and many of us live right next to it, or we live above it, and so we incur debt. The average American has three credit cards and carries $15,000 of debt on those credit cards. Many of us live above our means, but in order for us to manage God's money wisely, to have a vision for our money, we need to live below our means. And so your homework this week is to make a budget. <laughs> There's an easy way to do it right here. Another way that you can do it uh, is you can use sites like mint.com, M-I-N-T.com will help you with that. If you go to uh, daveramsey.com, uh, they have a budget like tool up there that you can create a budget with. And if you are making a budget for the first time this week, you're not gonna get it right, okay? You're not gonna keep it this month probably. You're gonna have to revisit that thing like 10 times or 15 times or a lot of times. You're gonna have to revisit it all sorts of times to make sure that, that you get it right and, and as you continue to do it, then uh, you'll begin to see freedom. But, but here's what Jesus says at the very end of that story. He says that those who managed what they were given well were given more. And he said, the guy who didn't manage it well, even what he had was taken away. And you know, this is so true in our life, isn't it? Like if you manage what God has entrusted you well, you'll have more. Not necessarily in some supernatural way, not that God's gonna write you a check or anything like that, but you discover that you have more because of saving, because of investment. You discover that you have more because you aren't impulse buying, because you aren't paying all these other people first, but um, you have more. And, and sometimes it's true and that you have more because God does bless you, because God sees that you're managing what you have, and so you see a raise come through, you see a promotion happen, you see a better job opportunity come about, and maybe somebody just gives you some money. But, but if you don't manage what God has entrusted you well, then even what you have will be taken away. Like what you have will begin to stagnate and you'll begin to see less of it, not necessarily in some supernatural way, but because of debt but because you're living above your means, because you're paying all these other people because of impulse buying, and as that happens, you'll see less and less of what you have. And sometimes it is in a supernatural way. Sometimes God sees what you have and he says, you can't even manage or won't even manage what I've given you, so why would I give you more? And so I don't know about you, but I wanna be the kind of person who can be entrusted with a lot. I wanna be the kind of person who has an amazing vision for the money that God has entrusted me. I wanna be the kind of person who God says, I wanna give you as much as you'll manage well. That's how I wanna be. And I believe you wanna be that way too. I believe you wanna be a person that God can entrust you with even more. Because I think God wants to do greater things in your life. I think God wants to do greater things in your finances. And I believe that it starts right here with managing what God has given us already by having a vision for the money he's given us. And that vision is called a budget. You know, each and every week, we take time to have communion. And um, we do this to remind ourselves of the truth that God has done something great in our lives. That he sent his one and only son to die for us, to raise again from the dead, to offer us forgiveness, and to give us life. And Jesus didn't come 
so that we could just kind of exist, so that we could live paycheck to paycheck, so that we could just kind of float around in life. But he came so that we could thrive, so that we could have life to the full. And when we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus came to give us life. And so we're going to have some people who come down the aisles, and uh, they're going to have trays with two cups in each uh, stack or in each hole. And uh, the bottom cup has some bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. The top cup has uh, some juice that represents his blood that was shed for you. And I just want to ask you, as you take communion today, um, you can take it any time during this next song. As you take communion today, would you just remember the truth that God gave his one and only son so that you could live for greater, so that you could experience true life, so that you could have freedom from sin, that you've been forgiven. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.